Hi, I'm your host, Aaron, and welcome to the First Generations Podcast, the show where we dive into the personal experience and knowledge of individuals that paved their path to success on their own terms. From entrepreneurs, professionals, and beyond, we will learn what it takes to walk through their journey and what it means to be first generation. Welcome to the First Generations Podcast. Today's guest is a recruiting, human resources, employee engagement expert, keynote speaker, executive coach, acclaimed author, and former Savannah police officer. Having reviewed over 10,000 job applicants and employees during his 10 years of human resources and recruiting experience, he helps his clients understand how to find, hire, and retain the best talent to grow and scale their business. Based out of the state of Kansas, I am proud to present you our guest, Gregory Austin. Hi, Gregory. How are you doing? Hey, Aaron. I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm doing fine as well. It's a beautiful day. It's obviously we have this pandemic, but you know, I personally am trying to make the most out of it, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the best way to do it for sure, man. To get this episode started, you are a lead singer from the band Amendment 21, and I find that very fascinating. So just to start off, were you musically trained at a very young age? And if so, what was your dominant instrument of choice? Music has always been important to me for as long as I can remember. But I started like in elementary school and clarinet and did that, you know, through up until high school. And then I got into saxophone and then I started getting into voice and started singing. I've always been kind of singing, but I wasn't that great at it until I started getting some formal training. Then I went to the University of Kansas and got some formal training there as well from a voice teacher who was awesome. And then was in every choir there was at that time. And I always wanted to be in a band. But, you know, then I graduated, went to grad school, life took over. Those kind of ideas went away for a while until a little bit later in life. It was about seven years ago or so. Me and some guys kind of randomly got together and started up this uh, band, Amendment 21, and was lead singer and rhythm guitar in that, kind of self-taught on the rhythm guitar and just had a blast with it. We did, uh, we actually got on the radio once through a friend of mine who had an AM show that was kind of cool and just had a, had a lot of fun with it. Oh, yeah. No, that sounds awesome. I also very similar. Um, starting on elementary school, they they gave it was it the clarinet? It was one of those record. Oh, the recorder. Yeah, we started with the recorder, and then I'm, I'm musically trained through the piano. Right, music is awesome, and I just find that super fascinating. Now, you went from studying developmental psychology to transitioning to a police officer, and now to your current career as a recruiter. Can you talk to us about your career transitions and how that led to your extensive expertise in the field of recruiting? Started out, yes, developmental psychology at the University of Florida. It was an amazing experience. I loved it. I taught, I did research, you know, and I did writing and it was, it was going great, but I was, I was married young and we started a family young and pretty soon it got to a point where we needed to make some big decisions. And unfortunately, behavioral science doesn't really pay, even if you have an advanced degree. So we kind of looked at that, took, took a big leap, left that situation, went to Denver for family reasons kind of restarted there and really started from scratch. I got into business intelligence and then sales and then marketing. Eventually the uh, the dot bomb hit and I was working for a data center company. That went downhill, relocated to Georgia to be closer to family there and got interested into federal law enforcement. And that's what got me into the Savannah Police Force because the, the process for that is a good 18 months or so, up to 18 months to, to get hired on by the FBI or ATF or, or what have you. And so having that experience while I'm going through the process would, would have been really valuable. And so I did that for about three years, just running around chasing bad dudes on the streets of Savannah. It was a wild experience to tell you a lot of wild stories. 
ended up relocating again and in the DC area, which made a lot of sense. But during the process, I actually got hired on by a realty company. And I would, didn't have to work weekends or holidays or get shot at or any of those types of things. And I was making more money. So I thought, this is okay. Eventually, I got uh, recruited by a recruiter who ran an agency, who was awesome, by the way. Great guy. Tom Phillips, wonderful. And taught me really the, the basics and really mentored me really well. And that's what broke me into that field. Ah, okay. So what is your story? Like, can you tie your story to how you have come across your passion to helping people connect to the great careers? Like, was this a passion you were aware of that from the start or was this developed through your exploration during the field of recruiting? I think it's really wired into my DNA to okay. be a helper. And I really do. I love to be a helper of people and watch this, see them succeed in life. I really didn't have a focus of how I was going to do that until I kind of randomly got into recruiting. Most people end up in recruiting. We don't say, I'm going to graduate college and be a recruiter. It can be a tough gig at times, whether you're corporate or whether you're agency. I think there's you know, pros and cons on either. But once in the agency world, it's very different because I'm dealing with clients and trying to find them the best fit, right? That they can't find themselves. And then I get paid basically a commission if they hire someone that I present. So through that process, you naturally get an opportunity to work very closely with your candidates, coach your candidates, make sure the resumes are really stellar, make sure that their interviewing skills are up to speed, that they've done their research and through that process. And so going through that, I really enjoyed the coaching process of that. And I made the transition years later from agency to corporate, and I can't coach my candidates now, it wouldn't be appropriate. So that's why I do that kind of on the side on my own to help candidates through uh, my LinkedIn posts, through videos, through articles, and coaching as well. Okay. I want to kind of dive into your recruiting expertise. What are some major keys or traits that you would specifically be looking for in a candidate that is connecting with you, whether if this is through LinkedIn, a coffee invitation, an interview? Like, Is there anything that stands out specifically? Well, it, it all is relative to the needs of the position. Okay. So, for example, right now, I am recruiting medical monitors to serve on a state drug safety monitoring board for clinical trials. And so they have to be an MD. Okay. They have to have experience in medical monitoring really for it to be a fit for us to use them kind of as a consultant within our world. And so, so if they're not an MD in that situation, wouldn't be a fit. Everything is relative to whatever the needs of that position is. And there's other positions I recruit for as well. So from intangibles, though, and you got to be careful about this, the people who are really good at building rapport and that show even more than that, that they're, they're genuine and that they're easy to relate to, easy to talk to, that you feel you're dealing with a real individual. Those are the people that, you know, kind of I think we gravitate towards as recruiters. I say I want to be careful about it because there are some very serious introverts who aren't as skilled at building rapport that are amazing candidates and they do amazing work for you. So you have to be careful about that piece of it, that it's really people who can go above and beyond and show those intangibles of being proactive, taking initiative, and just being a great team player. From what it sounds like, you look at the qualifications first, and then you look at personality, the attitude. Now, 
I've personally heard of the the odd success stories where like somebody was given a chance, you know, even though they were not qualified. Now, have you come across like, is this something that's actually common in the real world? Because I know like I, you hear these, at least I hear these stories a lot, whether if it's in movies or uh, stories and, you know, just just as a way to motivate a lot of candidates. Right. So do you find that translating to the actual world? Yes. But I would say from a recruiting corporate recruiting perspective, it's probably less common and atypical. And so the way in which that really occurs is generally through networking. Someone is very persistent and the folks who will cold call a recruiter show a ton of initiative and say, I really want to work for you because I am calling you cold and I'm introducing myself to demonstrate what I can do. Or it could be someone who you know knows somebody who knows somebody kind of a thing and they get put in front and you go ahead and review that person who if you looked at just their resume, you might've passed on them. But when you meet them and really get a chance to, to know them, you can't help but not hire them because regardless of what you put in front of them, they're just going to kill it. Oh, yeah. Going back to you being as a recruiter, you've done it for 10 years. Was there a specific moment within the 10 years where it kind of firmed for you, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life? Like, was there a specific moment that kind of gave you like the emotional chills or like a moment where you've helped someone to the point where it gave you so much gratitude? This is just a confirmation. I think it was early on in my agency days when I made some really key placements. So it was not just great for the company that I was serving, that they had this great new employee and this asset to help them grow, but it was a growth opportunity for the individual. And they stayed there and they've gone from, you know, assistant director up to senior VP level. And oh. those types of things are very gratifying. You get to be a part of their history in a very significant kind of way. You mentioned, mentioned how introverts, they may not be able to give you that wow factor, but they're really good at their job, right? So do you have any tips to those candidates that pre- to prevent that awkward conversation silence that may result from anxiety, nervousness? I try to really dig into what their obvious expertise is, okay. whether it's academic, experiential or both, to get them talking about projects, about that technical side of what they can do. And when they get past their own their, themselves, right, and that nervousness, and start digging into how they accomplish something, that goes goes aside, and you can get a feel for you know what their greatness really is. And and if they don't have it, then you also know that you know if they can't give you the details of exactly how they accomplished what they did. So, so essentially, they just have to be honest, like try to be as confident as they can, and answer their the questions being asked to the best of their ability. There is that. There's there's also what they've accomplished. You yeah. know, do they have a master's? Do they have a PhD? Have they been with this company for 10 years and moved up? You know, there's, there's more grace for different situations. And I think everything is really relative to the unique situation that's happening. I'm in the field of finance. And when I was a new graduate, I found it very hard to find a new entry level position or, oppor- or opportunity because I lacked experience. And there was kind of like that dilemma where it's like, oh, you want experience it's an entry-level job that requires experience, but yet it's an entry-level job, right? I found that to be a pretty big struggle that I had to go through. But I also know that there are many new grads that are having difficulty finding or being in this position. I'm going to provide like a recruiting scenario. Can you walk me through how you would connect and make a standout impression to a recruiter? 
So here's the scenario. We are currently at a job fair and everyone is in business casual attire. I am a recruiter looking to promote an entry-level executive bridging opportunity, and there's an enormous lineup of candidates to connect with me. After multiple candidates that have had their time with me, it is now your turn. So can you just quickly go through like what's going on in your mind? Like, How are you going to start this conversation? What is going through your mind specifically? And what questions are you going to ask me to make an everlasting impression? Here's, here's what I would do if I were in that situation. And of course, I have the benefit of experience. <laughs> I've been on both sides of that. So take it with a grain of salt. But here's what I would do is I would approach the person. Hey, Mr. Tam, I'm Gregory Austin. Here's my resume. I just graduated from the University of Kansas with a degree in mechanical engineering. I did this project and that project and accomplished these types of things. I was able to overcome some difficult times and some challenging people. But really, it turned out to be a fantastic project. And this is how we were successful. And I learned a, a lot of ways on how to connect and motivate people in the process. In addition to that, I've done some internships over the last couple of years that are really valuable, gave me real world experience. And I think I can be a tremendous asset to your company. When can we set up an interview? I like that because you're asking the question going back. I'm expecting to see you. When can we set up an interview? That there's a lot of initiative in that. They're there to meet qualified people, and if they're hiring graduates, then it makes sense for them to want to you know, set up an interview. So I think that'd be a great approach. Uh, some other questions you can ask and say, hey, why did you join the company? What makes it a great place to be there? It's kind of like flipping the position back to the recruiter themselves, so it's making them question themselves. But it's a good way because they can tell you their story, and they can tell you, give you a sense of how working at this location or working for this company is right through their perspective. Make an impression, you need to make a connection. And it's very hard to do. And if you're trying too hard to contrive a connection, probably going to fail badly. <laughs> but if you get them talking about what they think and how they feel, even, even if you're not connecting on the same topic exactly, you know, have the same experiences, you have some of the connections and that can make a real impact. I've also been told two different trains of thoughts here. I was told by one group where you should never ever get to a personal level where you get, you're sharing your, your personal details and you're asking about the recruiter of their personal details and you're having a good conversation because that can come out as being rude or invasive. Whereas another group has told me your goal is to try to connect and leave an impression. So try to relate with them even all the way down to the personal level. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on that? Like, should we be going down to the personal level or with, or does that depend on the scenario? It totally depends on the scenario and you can feel the comfort level and the attitude of the interviewer. So if they feel seem very guarded, super appropriate in the way they posture and they, they choose the words extremely carefully, yes. keep it very professional. So the, the best key, the best advice I can give is mirror what you're seeing. Mirror their, their tone, their cadence, their posture. You know, if they want to get a little bit more personal, great. Oh, yeah, I've got, I've got a German Shepherd, too. And, oh, yeah, we had him for 10 years, and he was the best. You know, those types of conversations are very innocent and it's a great way to connect. But I've also seen candidates do this mistake more times than I'd like to, to remember is they get too personal. And they start talking about things that they did or parties they went to or, oh, I got divorced. So and I had this medical issue and it took me out of work. And we don't, we don't want to know. We don't need to know. If they can keep it light and personal, that's fine, but don't give too much of that kind of personal information. It could really backfire on you. Other than being too personal, is there one 
key attribute or trait that you notice a lot of candidates have that tend to kind of write you off on their list for the position you're looking for? I would say, first of all, they need to be dressed for success. And some interviewers take that very, very seriously. You could be working for a you know really casual startup, and sometimes they'll, they'll get offended if you don't wear a suit and tie. Sometimes the best thing to do is ask. I always like to wear a suit and tie, but I want to match their culture. What's the best way to dress in the interview? And the recruiter should be open enough to tell you what's the best thing to do there. But going into personal information, really throwing a past employer under the bus. Ah. There's ways to do that, you know, with saying that it was a, a difficult situation and a way to spin it without saying this is a toxic environment, it's the worst place ever, don't ever work there kind of thing. Uh, you don't want to say those types of things or personally throw someone under the bus. It's a small world. You never know because the person you're throwing under the bus could be a friend of the person you're interviewing. You never know it. You have to be careful. For people who, who do that, people who swear in the interview or make excuses or if they're late, they have to reschedule all the time. You know, those are some of the things that are going to immediately turn me off. Good to know. I kind of want to switch up the dynamic here. Can you talk to us about the importance of networking for business success and why you believe that the success of a business is so strongly correlated with it? Because when we talk recruiting, usually we look at the angle from the candidate, right? But we never really look at the perspective or through the lens of the company itself. Like usually, at least I'm told that, hey, the company's looking for this person. But again, the emphasis is on the candidate. <laughs> Uh, so I think networking is one of the, the single most important things you can do, whether you're a business person, a salesperson, an entrepreneur, uh, a candidate, it, it doesn't matter. It's incredibly powerful. Uh, just to give you some perspective, I landed my last five jobs because of some type of networking that I had done before that, whether it was through professional organizations, chamber events, through LinkedIn, getting on the phone with people, having coffee with people. And sometimes these random conversations you have that you don't think are going to go anywhere sometimes can lead to something really great. So you just never know until you start to get to know people and people, they don't really buy from a company. They don't buy from, you know, just for the product itself. Usually if it's something big, they don't want to buy from, from the person that they like the person that they trust. And so, so people like to get those recommendations, whether they're referring you know, candidates, or they're referring a business or a business service. Those things matter. That's why reviews are so big on Amazon. You read a lot of good positive reviews, you feel like there's a level of trust there. And you want to take that to a networking level. So when you're at these events, you guys you need to have a really great 10 to 15 second commercial of who you are and what you do and, and express that in a really upbeat and kind of cool way. And then turn and then spend a lot of time just asking questions and get to know the person as best you possibly can. And then, you know, move, if it's a networking event, then move on to the next and try and, you know, replicate that across a number of people and leave a lasting impression. This kind of thought or this saying has been thrown out a lot, especially through the companies or in my workplace. I want to know your perspective just for our listeners. They say that a lot of people out there, they think, oh, a company hires and fires people. That's it's cheap. It's they can do it. Everybody's replaceable. Now, myth or truth? <laughs> I think it really depends on the leadership of the company and how they value people, how they treat people. So you'll have, you could have two exact companies and let's say they manufacture lawnmowers 
and they're going through this pandemic and let's say sales are down, one company may say, okay, listen, I'm the CEO. I'm, I'm not going to take a salary through this pandemic or at least the next six months. All my executives are going to take a 50% pay cut and everyone in the company is going to take a 20% pay cut and you're going to get an extra day off a week. So that way we're conserving cash. Nobody has to get laid off and we can hang in this together. Okay. That kind of, I literally heard this story just today. So this is a true thing that's happened. And it wasn't a lawnmower company, but you get the idea. And then there are companies like former Sprint, that is now owned by T-Mobile, where they would lay people off to make their quarterly numbers. And people were just, I mean, people were like cattle to them. And they just, it just became kind of, oh, well, this is just how things are done. And just to give you some historical perspective, actually, that idea of laying people off to help the book started back in the Reagan era when the flight controllers, they went on strike and they were federal employees. And President Reagan said, no, we're not going to tolerate that. And he replaced them with military personnel and anybody else they could find. And those people were out of a job permanently. They were not allowed to even reapply. But unfortunately, that opened the door for companies to do the same thing. Oh, well, the president of the country did it. I can lay these people off and move on. I was afraid about it before. Now it seems like it's okay. And unfortunately, there's a lot of corporate leaders who get so worried about the, the board of directors who they do hold their feet to the fire and the investors who do the same thing. And so they do what they feel like is necessary. But it's really crappy. And people are human beings. And we should be treated with dignity and respect. And sometimes it happens, even with good companies. But it doesn't have to. Yeah. Now, even your first example with the lawnmower company, I, in my opinion, that CEO is a true leader. And by that action itself, he's leading by example and he's showing everybody else that's employed that it's a company first and it's everybody first before him, right? I'm telling you, if you can just show people that you care even a little bit, they will really work hard for you. If you show them you really care, they'll walk through the fire for you. Show them you, you have their back. And a lot of leaders don't get this. They lead mostly by fear and intimidation. And part of the reason they do that is it works for a short term. Mm -hmm. It does. And so they feel like, oh, so they don't want to stick around. Well, they didn't deserve to be here. And so they have this kind of false mentality about it. And I've, and I've seen both of those in, in my corporate experience. Yeah. You know, who's going to look for it? Someone who's going to cut you loose the first time that you do something they don't like or yell at you or yeah. intimidate you or someone who's going to say, okay, I want to, I'm going to treat you the way I'm going to be treated or the way I want to be treated. And so this is how we're going to do. And if you're not meeting expectations, you're just going to tell you like this. This is what we need to do. And this is what you need to do to fix it. And if mm. you don't fix it, well, you're probably not going to be here. hope that doesn't happen. You see the difference? Yes. Now, very curious. What do you think is the reason why that a lot of leaders lead with force and fear? Like, is this something that they don't know better and that's how they were led? And this, Or do you think there's a major source where this kind of mentality comes from? Or, Well, I, I think there's probably some good, some psychologists who could really answer that question, but it's going to be a combination of factors. Okay. It's probably how they were modeled. So a lot of it's what they've seen done and they see these people in power and have respect get results and keep their jobs and get big bonuses because they were hard. And I think there's a difference between, you know, setting your foot down and being firm and just being callous and not caring about people. But I, I think it's that. I mean, if you go down to mommy daddy issues 
It could oh. go down to a lot of different things. I mean, if you were treated poorly and you don't ever be treated like that again, something that happened, you know, traumatic thing that happened in your past, then you just go and you bulldoze your way to the top. And you, if you impress the board, who cares? Because yeah. they're the ones with all the power, right? As long as you're making numbers, it doesn't matter. But you can actually be more productive and, and do better business if you treat people well. They just don't ever see that. I think they have their blinders on. And mm-hmm. I think they have too huge of an ego to have an open mind. Yeah, I 100% agree. And <laughs> I've been through that scenario. <laughs> now, tell us about your book, Stellar Resume Writing, Secrets from a Corporate Recruiter. Did you find that there was like a common lacking piece to a resume that gave you the inspiration to write this book? Great question. Thanks for asking that. After reading, it's been over 10,000 resumes now. So I've seen everything from good to bad and ugly in between. And there's a lot of common mistakes people make that are a lot of the unforced errors you have in your resume. And I give a little bit of grace. There's some hiring managers that if they see one misspelled word, it hits the trash. That's it because, hey, that's your... That's your calling card. That's, that's your marketing. If you can't make it clean, then how can I trust you to have great attention to detail working for me? And there may be some truth to that, right? But I really saw, and more and more, I even see people who don't put their contact information on their resume, which blows me away. I'm looking for a job, but I'm not going to give you my phone number or my email address. Okay, how do I contact you? Wow. Yeah. I actually questioned somebody about that one because they had an email but no phone number. And... I, I use the phone because it's faster. Mm-hmm. I use email as well, but sometimes, you know, it's just I, I want to get that uh, that interview scheduled as quickly as possible. If I can get them live, then I know I can get it done. And the answer was, well, I have my resume on these public boards, and I want everyone to know my phone number. I'm like, yeah, okay, but at the same time, don't you want a job? <laughs> Some list you're going to have to take. So, so that was one common stream: bad formatting, people with just no real direction to the resume were just really hard on the eyes and things that have obviously not been looked at by a second pair of eyes or no proofreading even done by the, by the author of the resume. Those are some things that inspired me because I really want to help people because a lot of these people have good backgrounds, but they're not translating it well on paper. Secondly, probably selfishly as a recruiter, I wanted to see some cleaner resumes. <laughs> Maybe I can help make that happen. But it was also just I wanted to wanted to really publish a book, and this was something I knew very well, and I could get it done quickly. So, when you say hard on the eyes, is this like does this have to do with font sizes? Like too much information that it's like you're looking at a, an encyclopedia when you're looking at a resume. Like, what do you mean by that? That's a great question. So, yes, don't, please don't use fonts that are too small. I even think ten points too small, but. Anything under 10, absolutely not. You got to crank it up and zoom in on, on the screen. Also, people who write in a long paragraph, if I'm on my 30th resume for that particular requisition, and I just need to know, hey, did, first of all, do they have the minimum qualification? And if I have to read a novel to get that, it's not fun. So, so that's what I mean. Or just really bizarre formatting where it's like different fonts and you know, things aren't really where you expect them to be and so forth. Another question. You said no direction when a resume has no direction. What do you mean by that? So when they don't seem to know what they want to do the career and they've jumped around to so many different things, and uh, especially if there's a lot of short hops, I was yes. here for three months and I was here for six months and I was here for nine months and I was here for four months. It doesn't, you know, they don't know what they want to do. So 
someone who has really considered what they want to do and what their gifts are that they want to give to the world and a way that they can do that in, in a job and really show in a resume. Cool. I appreciate you giving us this advice. <laughs> now, we're about to wrap up here. I have three more questions for you. So my first question I have is, is there one book you would recommend to our listeners that was most impactful to you in your development of becoming a highly successful recruiter? So, wow, book that led me to being a great recruiter. If, if it's a recruiting book, I would say there's Recruiting Rockstars is a really solid book if you want to be a recruiter. Okay. Um, and, but if it was just a book in general that I think was really impactful, probably the number one book was The Seven, the Seven Habits by oh, Stephen okay. Covey. Right? You've probably heard that. That's a seminal book. Think and Grow Rich is another seminal book just to get your mindset of what you want to do and accomplish things that you want by Napoleon Hill. I'm also a huge Simon Sinek fan. I think yes. anything that he does is pretty awesome. I would, for anybody who's not really sure what they want to do, and, and I don't get anything for this, but find your why is a really cool process of how to use your story and working with a partner to help you uncover, you know, that what they call the golden thread that yes. goes through everything to really show what it is you love to do and what your gift is to the world. And then trying to translate that into, you know, some way that you can make money, whether it's with a job or with a business. Yeah. And, and to add on to that too, with that book, it doesn't just, it's not just from a personal to personal level. This, this book is also has like a section for corporations, for groups, for tribes. So it's an awesome book. And there's a lot of very, very good exercises too. Second question I have for you is what does being first generation mean to you? That's a great question. And I guess really cool. How do you put that? And it's sort of funny because my wife is first generation Korean. So it has a double meaning for me because yeah. I'm dealing with a whole new culture in my life that it's eyes into to that world that I never would have had otherwise. So kind of bringing that into, it's like bringing your vision into the world in a way that uniquely is you and no one else could replicate it exactly the way you could. Ah, yes. I love that. Last question I have for you is where can we find you on social media? Where can we find more details about Gregory Austin and your work? Fantastic. So probably the, the biggest place, the easiest place to find me is on LinkedIn. Just type in Gregory Austin. You'll find me. I've got a pretty good following. I do posts every day, if not more than once a day to help job seekers and just business people in general with tips and tricks and mindsets and so forth. I also have a website where I'm really collating and bringing in all that information. It's called careerjetpack.com. And so Career Jetpack is the brand. And so there's a Career Jetpack on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram as well. And then you can also find in my book, Stellar Resume, Secrets from a Corporate Recruiter, at stellarresumewriting.com. And that's where you can find me. Awesome. And for our listeners, I'll be listing the, the links in the description below for the podcast episode. And Gregory, I want to thank you for coming on to the show. It's been a pleasure having you on. Hey, thanks so much for having me on your show, uh, for really digging in and, and asking, you know, very custom questions to kind of my life and my world. Really appreciate that. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can follow us on Instagram and subscribe to us on YouTube at First Generations Podcast. 
For any questions, comments, and inquiries, please reach out to Aaron at firstgenerationspodcast.com. That is A-A-R-O-N at firstgenerationspodcast.com. Stay tuned for the next episode.